we are delighted to welcome Barwon Health Foundation as sponsors of Room 64. If you would like to support palliative care services at Barwon Health, please contact the Barwon Health Foundation at barwonhealthfoundation.org.au. Welcome to Room 64. Um, we come to you uh, in NAIDOC week. So we're celebrating NAIDOC week and uh, the theme this year is Heal Country. So the NAIDOC 2021 theme, Heal Country, calls for all of us to continue to seek greater protections for our lands and waters, our sacred sites and our cultural heritage from exploitation, desecration and destruction country that is more than a place and inherent to our identity. Country that we speak about like a person, sustaining our lives in every aspect, spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially and culturally. Our interview with Deanna, talking about her mum Mary, took place on Wadawurrung Country. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Here we go. We're going to start filming, uh, filming, recording <laughs> the, the Room 64 podcast with Deanna Marinoff, who is the daughter of Mary, Mary Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> um, and I honestly wish that we had a camera here. That This is the most intriguing and amazing room to sit in. Deanna's an artist um, and I think as we'll learn through this podcast, has a somewhat unique spin on life and art in general. So I, I'm really looking forward to this. And, um, you know, I don't have any set questions and I know you've, yes. you've written some stuff down. Yes, so. we've, being NAIDOC no Week, um, celebrating the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples. Um, and my mum passed away in uh, July last year and um, she, you know, we... we struggled for a long time to prove the aboriginality of mum and um, her heritage come, comes from the Palawakani, that's Tasmania. The Merwinia people, the area around Nipaluna, Hobart and Kanyani, Mount Wellington and we know that mum in her heart passed away knowing that she was strong and proud Merwinia woman. Yeah, so... And she, we at we were going to Tasmania this year had she had not, you know, got that sick. Um, and me and my oldest daughter were going to take her to meet the elders, the three ladies in Hobart, but that didn't happen. <laughs> and um, and then when my grandmother got married and to a good man, but then you know, you turned into a bit of a monster. And um, he would, uh, the kids used to hear him fight, you know, she, my nan wouldn't hurt anybody and she was a good mother and he'd drink and bowed her up and the little kids used to hide, you know, under the bed, my mum and all that would go and hide and um, they used to hear him um, corner, you know, F and C and black F and C and the kids were that used to swearing and the, the swear words were nothing, but they're thinking, why is he? Why are they is say is he saying black? So was that your mum's first sort of introduction to the fact that perhaps she was Aboriginal? Yeah, and see, my her mother, 
I think she never said nothing because being in an orphanage, she probably thought, oh, they'll take all the kids, seven kids away. She was a really good mum and I was their only daughter and she had, um, I got two brothers and there was the other little one. He passed away when he was three weeks old and mum never, ever got over that. You know, I've found all these little photos and things going through her stuff since she passed away. All the Herald Sun death things, you know, the yeah. notices. So, um, so <coughs> tell me a bit about your. So you grew, did you grow up here with, no. your, with your mum? So we were there and okay. come here twenty one years ago um, with mum and dad, and we were lucky enough to find this property with two houses, and that was the the idea. I cared for them mm. you know so and that's what we done and dad died 12 years ago okay and I shared the care with mum and then after mum after dad died mum sort of got a bit depressed so I sort of went on and with her fingers she couldn't do zips or you know things so I started to care for mum and then and then and then when was it the year before last her house burnt down so her house was only 11 metres from here and the bloody house burnt down. She was up at Bunaloo at her brother's place. And so I rang her up at Bunaloo and I said, Mummy, you're sitting down? And she said, yeah, why? And I said, oh, your house has just burnt down. And she said, so? <laughs> I said, well, you know, how bad is it, she said. And I said, oh, well, it's pretty bad. And I said, and they're all here, you know, and these people and asbestos people you know and all that but anyway she come home the next day and she moved into here but even if her house hadn't have burnt down I think she was at that point where getting a bit falling over I would have bought her in here I think mm-hmm. she'd only been here about two months and one of my dogs who just loved her one morning mum come out and she, the dog's tooth a little friendly nip sight and got her hand Anyway, you know, we put betanidine on it, washed it all up. It was nothing. And two days later we went to the doctor and um, for other things she had and he had a look at it and said, no, it's good. About four days later we had to ring an ambulance. She, I thought she was having a heart attack or a stroke or something. She was at home well and took her into Geelong. And what had happened, she'd got that... Is it cellulitis? Yep, cellulitis. Cellulitis, yeah, up the arm from the dog bite. So they they gave her a chest X-ray because they thought being near the heart, you know. So anyway, had the X-ray, come home, gets over that, you know, she healed well. And then two weeks later the doctor rang and said to bring mum in. So we go down to Lara and he said, Mary, um, you had an X-ray two weeks two weeks ago or whatever at Geelong and we said yeah and he said they've found a couple of little things in your lung so who was it someone gave me the thing for the palliative care (laughs) I don't know the doctor might have a pamphlet or something and I mum said oh when, when do you go to palliative care and I said I don't know so I rang up and I rang community palliative care and I said oh you know Mum's been diagnosed with lung cancer and, you know, but she was that well. She was wonderful, you know, running around and, you know, great. And the lady on the phone said, look, all I'll say is you will know when 
we're needed, you'll ring. You've got the number there, you know. So I said to mum, you know, that that's how it is. You're fine now, you know. I said, well, you'll live another five or ten years. Even the doctor said that, you know, you're just terrific. And then, um, yeah, so she was all right and um, expecting to live longer than what she did. And, yeah, so they just gave her some radiation. They couldn't do much and a few tests and that liquid out of the lung or some stuff and all that. And um, she was, you know, she was good. She was strong. And did you know when you needed palliative care? Um, mm-hmm, yes. Well, at first um, we had, I rang them and with that wonderful doctor who left, um, the blonde doctor. Emmy, Emmy, Emmy. Oh, mum loved her. She she was beautiful. And I even said to her one day, I said, you are, you've a career path that you've chosen because she was just so, oh, she just made you feel good. That's what mum said, you know, and always lovely, you know. Anyway, so one day Emmy come with one um, community palliative care nurse. I can't remember her name. She Sarah, I think it might have been. Yeah. yeah. And because I'd spoken to Sarah on the phone because mum started saying, you know, when when do I know I'm getting sick, you know, because she was so healthy, it seemed. So there was a lot of questions. So I rang and spoke to Sarah and she said, look, um, I'll speak to Emmy and we'll come out and we'll talk to you and mum. So a few days later they come, we sat out there and um, and mum was pretty, you know, good at that time, not really in any pain, a lot of pain. And, yeah, Emmy just said, you know, Mary, she said, Mum said, how do you know, how will I know when it's getting close, you know, my death? And she said, well, you know, you'll, you'll probably, you'll find that you won't want to eat much, you know, you'll lose that. You'll be tired, you'll sleep a lot and things like that, you know. And mum's like, oh, yeah. And at that stage, mum was still eating and, you know, I'd come out here at night and she'd be up still watching Tally eating twisties. <laughs> oh, yeah, she was unreal. <laughs> Watching that Pirouar or something. Yeah, him. Yeah, oh, she loved that show. And that bloody, oh, you know what she loved? That bold and beautiful. She used to get really angry if you come in or a a phone call for her, you know, she'd say, don't bring the phone in. (laughs) Tell them, tell them I'm asleep. (laughs) Oh, yeah, so, um, (laughs) so that, that, that was really good that day. We sort of found out stuff. You know, did you expect that you would be able to have those sorts of frank conversations about end of life and what to expect? No, and because I had never, well, me and mum really had never, well, we'd never had anything to do with palliative care. So when we, um, you know, got the had the girls come out, the doctor, and you know, and seeing the little brochure things and. And knowing that it was out at um, Grace McCullough there, because that's beautiful there, you know. And, uh, yeah, I said, gee, look at this. And it wasn't till mum, um, oh, she was still well, but her pain was getting a bit bad. So Emmy said, Mary, we're going to put you in for a couple of weeks to give me a rest. But we, they wanted to just sort out her pain, which was really good. 
And mum was really happy about it. And I went in that night and I'm like, she goes, have a look at this place. And she, apparently she had one of the best rooms the first time. And it was beautiful. And she said, oh, I love it in here. I'll stay for two weeks. <laughs> It's interesting what you're saying there because two things you've brought up are two things that we know people are very fearful of when we talk about being admitted to a palliative care program. So the first one is going into a palliative care unit and yeah. often people think that that is the end of life. But what, no. what they don't understand, I suppose, is what you then learnt is that it's actually somewhere you can go in for symptom management to yeah. optimise pain yep. control or constipation control. Yes. Yep. And to learn that you've got those supports and importantly to have respite for carers as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, for me that two weeks that she was, the first two weeks when she, I could, she could still walk, um, she, you know, could have a shower and, and, you know, by herself and things like that. But it was just, you know, during the night it was getting bad, the pain just on her back all the time. But, um, oh, yeah, when they said to – because I didn't know that, that they could go for to do that. And it was like for me, oh, she's only down the road, so that was wonderful. And, yeah, I just really had a good time, just relaxed, you know, and she was in there having a bloody ball, you know, she was getting on with, she loved all the nurses, the male nurses, um, you know, just other people who were in there with the same thing, you know. Yeah. She loved the food and everything and, you know, we were all going in to see her all the time. But it was sort of hard because we are in the COVID then, so it was a bit tricky. Um, but, you know, it was, still, it was still all right. So you said earlier, Deanna, that um, <clears throat> it was your wish that mum would would die at home but she didn't she died in the palliative care unit yeah she she wanted to die at home before she seen palliative care but then when she went that first time and she said oh look I don't care if I die home or if I die here she said that's nice you know palliative care is nice she said it's not like a hospital mm. so it didn't bother her you know what I mean and does it does it bother you Oh, I would have liked to have had her here and I remember uh, three days before she died, um, I said to Dr Nagler, I, we went out near the fish tank out in that area and I said, oh, you know, do you think we can take mum home? And these were his words. He said, it would take a whole village of people to look after your mum. He said, because he knew I was painting mum's coffin, he said, all I can say is go home and start painting that coffin. He said it could be tomorrow, it could be Sunday, it could be two weeks. He said, but it's coming. And that's when really it hit me because I really thought, you know, we all thought she was going to come home. Mm. But, you know, um, it was good in there and I knew that she did like it in there and she was with nice people. Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to die at home if they could, but... She was in a good place, you know. But then you did something that a lot of people don't do. Mum and I talked about it for a while um, and I just, she knew how I felt about um, funeral homes or undertakers and she felt the same way. And she said, oh, you know, I'm really scared when I'm dead to be put on one of those trolleys and kept in a freezer and have people 
touching me and draining me of fluids and, you know, she was like that. And I said, Mum, I said, no, I said, I'm not going to let anyone touch you. I said, no, we're going to do you, I'm going to do you here, the family. I said, when you die, if it's here, you'll stay here. When she passed away, when she passed away, I said to the nurses, mum's coming home. And I rang, they rang King's Funerals for me, who I've got, we bought the coffin from. And they knew it was a home funeral. And, um, yeah, so mum passed away at 8.30 in the morning and I think we we had her back here by about four. So that was really good. And by then all my our family had come over. Just I've got six adult kids and there's 11 grandkids. Everyone was here. And um, the littler ones, they're all excited because we didn't actually tell them then that mum had passed away and we just said, oh, Ma-, and they all call her Mary. And we're saying, oh, Mary's coming home, but you've got to be quiet. The little ambulance thing's pulling up soon and we're going to bring her straight into her room. She's asleep. So anyway, I had the bed all the, um, what do you call it, like rubber things, mattress protector things, and we had all beautiful flowers and that here. And we shut the curtains and kings come in and they were wonderful. It was July and I had a fan. And he said to me, this is so cold in here. He said, you won't even need that fan. And, um, and she said to me, the lady from King, she said, she said, I really wish other people would do their own funerals and everything. She said, so many people are so scared of death, you know, or their dead, you know, family or whatever. And um, she said, it's beautiful. And she commented on the room, you know, the flowers, and it was just all beautiful for mum to come back to you know we'd all cried our tears you know on the morning she'd passed away and everything me and my son and oldest daughter were there when she passed away and um yeah so uh mum's here there all the family are here I had to get this coffin finished so I bought it my art room's right down the back bought it up all the paint um chucked mum's coffin on the table and everybody had to paint. We all had to paint. I'd done the main, the main lid was um, I painted mum in a purple dress because that's a spiritual colour. All the kids, everyone done their handprints, all the kids and that. Oh, there were so many handprints and everything like that on the coffin. It came up beautiful, yeah. And um, we just had like a drink and barbecue and stuff that night, come in here and, you know, we'd, be around mum, mum laying here, you know, deceased and talking about funny things she'd done and, and we were laughing that much. My daughter nearly fell on mum on the bed. <laughs> but mum would have been killing herself laughing. We had mum's coffin out there in my big room um, and just flowers everywhere and it was just beautiful, it really was. We played all her favourite music and... Then um, when the young girl come from King's Funerals, all the grandkids carried mum, just she bought the hearse right down there, put mum in. Then she drove, we've got a long driveway, she drove slowly and all of us walked up behind and then she took off down the road and it was an overcast afternoon. Well, then when we looked at the photos, like that night or the next day, when she was just going down the road, 
this big cloud has got the sunbeam hitting the, the hearse where Mum's coffin is. Weird. It, it is becoming a more common thing, but it's still not a common thing for people yeah. not to go to a, a, a funeral home in yeah. the interim. How did you know that you could do that? Well, I just said that I don't care. Even if it was against the law, I was going to do it. Jail me. But mm. it's not against the law in no way. And I know people in America, lots of people have said to me, white people, I've got friends, that it is not common for the white of people, white people, to do those sort of funerals, but with African Americans, that's uh, that's mainly what they do, and to them, it's they look at the white people like you know, these are they're morbid. Like, I think it's to me, I, I I love the idea of doing it yourself and your family and wash the and Mum had no embalming, no need for that or anything. Um, she didn't smell even after, what, nearly seven days here in winter. Um, but had she died in the summer, um, King's Funeral said to me, you can hire from the Geelong Hospital a cooling plate, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's not a lot of money to hire. Do you think that some of her her end of life and, and yours, because you cl- clearly all did it as a family, do you think that any of that was reflective of mum's Aboriginal heritage? Yeah, well... I reckon so because actually I did look at in Fitzroy there's an Aboriginal like undertaker. They do for Indigenous funerals and um, but what it was for us, see mum's also, her um, grandfather was, uh, well mum is a Pakia. She's got Maori blood on her grandfather's side and we have got really good Maori friends who we have over all the time here. And, you know, we knew that about Maori funerals and all that and they come home. So we sort of, it was, I don't know, we just thought it was the right thing to do. And mum always said, talking about preparing her funeral, that, you know, she said, well, you know, I really should have done it for her own mum, you know. So I think a lot of Aboriginal people would probably do their own funerals. But then it depends on how you go with your grief. You know, some people might just not be, they just can't. Do you know what I mean? That's been fantastic. Yes. It's a beautiful story. And, yeah, one you should be very, very proud of. We talked at the start about, you know, um, the, the fact that we'll we'll launch this episode in, in NAIDOC week. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you think maybe palliative care could have done differently or better to support your family and your mum in her sort of search for recognition? Oh, no. I suppose, I mean, I'm sure if, um, you know, we I don't think they, unless they had mum's record, they would have known she was Aboriginal. Did, if, did we ask her? I don't know. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But she wouldn't have probably just said it unless it come up in conversation. Yeah. Or, But, you know, well, what is it with palliative care? You know, every year everyone's treated the same and we all die the same, don't we? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I guess know? that's our question. And um, <laughs> I suppose, you know, Alison and I do a, a fair bit of working to making sure that 
people aren't all treated just the same um, and that they're treated as individuals with individual yeah, well, needs that, that and Yeah, all that too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's what I mean. And I suppose we're always sort of striving to improve what we do. Yeah. Um, and and maybe maybe mum was just happy with being mum. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> being that's Mary, right. And, and there wasn't anything that she needed. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose if, you know, someone wanted to do some sort of ceremony or something, you know, or even outside, that would have been allowed, I'd say, something like that. But it wasn't something she spoke of that she wanted. Not really. Not, I suppose, you know, because everything just happened so quick with the pain and that and mm. she wasn't thinking really clearly, you know. Mm. But she was, she she was really wanted to get down to, to Tassie. That, that was the thing that she really wanted to do, which was really sad that we couldn't do it. Yeah. So, no, but I reckon if, you know, with anyone who has a sick family member with cancer and that to, well I know just in the Geelong area with the Barwon Health the palliative care there and the community palliative care at home I'd have to say you know it's wonderful really really good couldn't say a bad word <laughs> and good for the carer too 